Okay. So we have got the next 20 or so, 25 minutes. Uh, we're going to close with a song at the end together. Uh, we're going to try and land the plane by noon um, so you can get to whatever you need to get to for the day. But we've got a great opportunity for some just open Q&A time. And uh, we are recording the sessions, and we'll have them available online, including the Q&A session, which means... Uh, Either I'm going to bring the microphone to you so that you can ask your question, or at least one of us is going to repeat it, because we want to be able to, to catch that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is, this is your time to, to kind of reflect and ask and follow up. So just raise your hand. I'll be right there. Otherwise, I've got like my list of six questions that I will subject all of you to. So, all right, in the back. Several, several, several of people have asked about the letter that I, I read at the end of session two. Um, it's called the, the letter to Diognetus. It's spelled D-I-O-G-N-E-T-U-S. Um, you can find the whole letter online for free. It's different translations. Uh, but it's, it's some of the uh, early church father kind of letter, like a lot of that correspondence and stuff back in the, the early centuries is where it comes from. It's it's a wonderful thing to read all the way through, not just the section I read. So I encourage you to take a look at it. Could you give us an example or two of the longing lie light and how you would uh, deal with one of those longings and lies? Um, uh, that that I, I I've say the the whole. Um, the, the whole book, I'm trying to, to do that with, with, with multiple different kinds of things. Um, Maybe I'll interject. Why don't you, could you talk about the smartphone issue? With yeah, the that's, a good, that's a good, lie, good, lie. Way to, good one to start with because it's close to all of us probably on our person right now. Uh, um, so wh- why, why are we so addicted to our smartphones? Um, constantly looking at them, constantly checking, updating statuses and things. Um, you have grandkids. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, you know that, that we're 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 uh, one of the first generations that had that's had this kind of technology. And a lot of times, people think that the most important thing about the smartphone is what we're accessing on it. Is the content good? Is it okay? As if the phone itself is neutral, and the the question is really just content. But the bigger question we should ask is, no, what, what is the phone actually doing to us? How is it forming us, shaping us, making us think? So one of the, the longings for, so you, you read a lot and you hear a lot about, um, uh, for example, junior high kids, high school kids, uh, who are constantly updating on Instagram, for example, and, and uh, posting selfies of themselves. What's going on there? What's actually taking place there? Well, there's a longing there to be known. A longing to be known and loved, and so they love the idea there that um, you know you'll you'll put out the, this selfie and then you wait for people to like it. You get all these words of affirmation, these comments, you know, you're gorgeous, you go girl, you know that kind of thing all the way through, you know, and it, that's happening. That's happening. There's a longing there uh, where people are wanting to put themselves out there to be known, 
The lie, though, is that that's going to satisfy. Because no matter what people put out there, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's an image that they put out there. Uh, some, some girls will even say of the selfies they take, it doesn't even really look like me. Some of the poses, some of the things that do. And so even though they get all these words of affirmation, there's the lie that that's going to fully satisfy them because deep down they say, that's not really me. And if they really saw my true self, would they still be putting out all of those, those words of affirmation? So the, the, the lie there is that the phone is the place where you're going to be able to be known and loved for who you are. So uh, part of what, what's happening in the practices that, that have come around now, our social media accounts and our, and our phones, is that we, we, we have this, this longing to, to know and so we can ask Siri whatever we want, and we can go to Google to look up the Epistle of Diognetus, and uh, we <laughs> we can find whatever it is we need really at the at, at our fingertips. Um, there's this longing to know um, certain things, and the phone will give you certain information about the world. The lie is that the phone can give you wisdom, can give you discernment, the kind of knowledge that would help you actually know how to live best in your life. So you have a longing for knowledge that leads you to your phone, and then you also, but you also have the lie that the phone doesn't give you the kind of knowledge that the Bible would give you, the kind of wisdom you need. And then on the other hand, you've got this longing to be known, and so that's why people are posting and commenting and selfies and all the rest, because they want to stand out. They feel like they should be significant somehow. And in this deluge of information that's coming out them, they want to stake their, their, their hand, their, their, they want to plant a flag and say, look, I was here and this mattered and I did this event and I got to take a picture of it. Otherwise it's like it didn't happen. Right. And so that's happening too at the same time. But the lie is that that's going to somehow fulfill the deeper longings. And the way that the gospel connects to that is the gospel should free us from that sort of that sort of anxiousness about this because we have a God who sees us and knows us and loves us as we truly are, not just the image that we present online, not just the facade we put, we put in, in through, through pictures and whatnot that we have because of Jesus, we have the affirmation of God over us that goes beyond selfies. God sees through selfies and yet he still loves us and he knows us. And we have the great big like of God's affirmation because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, so that, that's the, that's an example, I think of, uh, very close to home, I would say, practical. Thanks for bringing that one to mind. Cause that, that's one I think that especially younger generations are, 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 are having to deal with growing up in a world where this is uh, normal. I was just thinking through the, uh, the lie, longing lie and light, uh, longing lie and light paradigm. Um, seems like, as we tell a better story to our friends and spheres of influence, that's something that takes some time to get to, especially for people's specific circumstances and situations. So I was wondering if you might reflect on that sort of type of telling a better story in evangelism as compared to uh, our evangelical uh, revivalistic roots, um, conversionism, preaching, and the response, and that sort of stuff, and how those things uh, either connect or disconnect, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I, I wouldn't want to contrast what I'm saying with our revivalistic roots, uh, because I, I know so much fruit that's come out of the revivalistic roots, including my father-in-law's story. It was a revival service in a Baptist, in, in a communist country. Um, there's, it's, it's difficult to, um, 
to, to, to talk about evangelistic tools as necessarily good, better, best, because the Spirit tends to work through all and in spite of all of the problems with different ways of evangelism. And it's, um, so I, I, would, I would say when, I, I'm leaving you this longing lie and light paradigm, not as an evangelistic technique, but as a way for you to process conversations you have with people that you know, whether they're in your family, neighbors, uh, people that you interact with online or at work that have uh, radically different understandings of the world and live accordingly. I want to leave you that paradigm so that you can, you can process that in, in a way that is, is going to be um, faithful to the Lord and then be able to engage in better conversation uh, uh, with those people. But what I would say about revivalism versus other kinds of uh, evangelism and evangelistic conversations, one of the things that is most powerful about evangelism is not the persuasiveness of your own presentation. So take some of the pressure off here. It's not that I'm, going, I'm, a, I'm the most qualified person to talk about the Lord or that I get every single detail right about this certain presentation that I've memorized or that I've... No, often what's most powerful about uh, an evangelistic presentation is the power of the community of faith around the person who's doing the evangelizing and the person who is, is lost and needs to know the Lord. So sometimes people say, you know, they feel like it, it's a cop-out if I, I feel inadequate or unqualified and I want to bring people into the church community. I just want to invite them to church, you know, for them to see worship on its own and to hear God's word. I don't think that's a cop-out at all. I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared to actually have good evangelistic conversations on our own, but the church is where the beauty of God's grace comes to life for people where they see an actual body of believers who are living according to this, to this reality. It's what my father-in-law experienced. It wasn't just the revival message and what he heard, but the fact that there's a community of believers here that believes us firmly and is willing to pay a cost to, to be faithful. That in itself is part of the persuasiveness of the, the Christian community. So I would want to say yes, yes, yes to all kinds of revivalistic methods, all kinds of techniques, all kinds of evangelistic formulas, programs. Yes to all of them. Not all of them are perfect, no, but the Holy Spirit seems to work through imperfect people and methods generation after generation. That doesn't mean they're not, uh, we shouldn't critique them at all, but that the real focus should be on how is, uh, how's the Lord going to speak through me and going to speak through in, in my, my church, my congregation? How are people going to see the beauty of Jesus in our, our local communities? And I think that's the, 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 the question that should frame all the rest. Other questions? Thank you. That's a great, uh, 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 that's really, I, 
I'd love to see more of that. Um, I, I haven't seen a whole lot that is specifically designed for uh, uh, evangelism and engaging online. I was talking with, with a couple earlier uh, that a lot of these conversations tended to have moved from the neighborhood to online so that people in neighborhoods a lot of times don't ever want to talk about deep things or anything other than superficial because they're already exhausted from everything that's going on online that just wears them out from, from people they, they, they may know. And so that, that's a challenge, but that does lead the question, how can we be better at our online engagement? Let's go where people are. And if, if it's not the, the coffee pot on Monday morning like it used to be, maybe it is Facebook. And as much as some of us may cringe <laughs> at the thought that it, that it is, and it is harder there because we're disembodied, right? You can't even, you can't read someone's tone over Facebook. Um, you know, someone who's using all caps might just not know they are rather than actually be <laughs> shouting. You know, uh, it, that happens too. Um, so uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of, of help on that. I, I think we could use it. So that's a good, that's a good thing. And I'll, i I should probably take that idea to some other folks and say, hey, have we really thought about laying out a Christian way of engaging online and what that would look like? Um, because that's part of our mission field. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's creative. A, a good way of doing that. I so I really appreciated your uh, your smartphone example because I have a middle schooler now, and so we're entering that world of, you know, Snapchat. I I don't even know. It's dramatic, that isn't stuff. it? it it's yeah. a dramatic change. I have a middle schooler too. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and my kids are 11, 8, and 5. I'm just wondering, my, my kids are in the public schools here in West, and like, how can our kids be salt and light in their communities, especially given the, the rocky soil of New England that we live in spiritually? That, that's, a, um, that's important for us to, to consider. No matter where our kids are, they're, they're to be salt and light no matter, no matter uh, what kind of school environment they're in or wherever they might be. Um, I, I think it's important for us as parents to... Uh, um, to raise kids that are okay being different and being out of the mainstream and being, uh, we're going to be known increasingly in our society as dissenters. Those who are, we dissent from certain, you know, things that are expected in society. Um, one, one way that our family has had to deal with this is we, we've had to, um, uh, you know, our son uh, is 12 and really wants a smartphone and Instagram and some of these things. And my wife has an Instagram account that he can check in on occasionally and leave some things. But we've just said, no, we just at home, we want you to be as to escape from all the drama that goes on at school. That's one of the things. It's not just could pornography come on the phone or could there be this bad thing or here. It's just the, the sense of being on all the time. You know, you used to, you'd go to school and then you had something of a refuge, hopefully respite from that at home where you could be off and no one could see you and you were just sort of you and you, that that's disappearing with the phone. And even for a lot of us adults who work, um, you know, vacation just means we've changed the location from where we're answering our emails from uh, at home in our living room to on the beach while we're trying to avoid the glare and the sun. 
you know, we're, but we're still doing the same kinds of things. So that's the challenge. Uh, when it comes to technology, we've got to ask questions. How are we going to be, are we okay with being different? Um, are we okay with uh, not being like all of the other parents on the block, perhaps, in some of the, the rules and regulations and things that we set up? Because we want our kids to flourish uh, and, and be different. And the, the, real, the, the real challenge, I would say, though, for kids in a public school is make sure they are completely grounded and that their, their major sense, source of identity is not their school but their church. Uh, because the, the church community and environment is really where they're going to, to have to be recharged. Um, every single time the church doors are open for every kind of church activity, youth group, whatever, I, 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 like I want my kids here. My, my kids go to a Christian school, but I want their, I want even there, there's different kinds of challenges. Uh, you just, you pick your challenges no matter what you do with education with your kids. Um, but I, I want my, my, my kids to know this, um, this, uh, to have this foundation to know they can be salt and light because they have this community that's behind them, that's supporting them, that's, that's backing them up. It's vitally important in public school system and in college as well. You know, we talk about people walking away from church in college. Happens a lot. It's not because they went to college. It's because they stopped going to church, even in college. Usually that's the, the main reason. It's not because there's some atheistic professor like in God's Not Dead who's just mean to the kid that's like trying to bully kids. Most of the time it's not. It might be the kind agnostic or atheistic professor that actually has more of an influence. And this entire environment of people who have no understanding or need for God or even understand their, their, their uh, um, just completely as if God is irrelevant, that's very formative. Unless you have a church, unless they're part of a church where every week they are going back again and again to the crucified and risen Lord and why he matters and why he's most important in, in their life. So I go back to the community uh, aspect. It, it is important for us as parents to be discipling our kids. One of the ways, though, that we do that is we know we're not alone. We have a church around us. We want our kids to, to, to be in, engaged in that environment as much as, 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 much as possible. And so I try to get to know my neighbors, and um, thank you. <laughs> and I, I find it hard to know where to go with conversations. A lot of times they get started, and then um, I might say they may ask me another question. I'll say, "Yeah, well, we went to church last week. Whatever." There's no response. There's nothing that they say that can help you go to the next level. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying with them? And um, I just I found that that's been one of the biggest challenges is what to say next. Or if they're not asking any questions because they, they feel like they have it together anyway, or they're not showing their weaknesses, or there's nothing that you can enter into um, with them. Yeah, that's a, um, I think a lot of people feel that way. And that's not just here in the Northeast. That's more and increasingly more and more in the South as well. My wife has had similar uh, things to say. Just There's a certain superficiality among our conversations with neighbors that it's difficult to actually penetrate through and to have deeper conversations with. So first, you cultivate the relationships you do have where you are able to go to go deeper, and in the other ones uh, that where you you feel like there's this barrier and that there's this sort of level surface level and you're not going to go beneath. Uh, 
look for opportunities where you can minister when there are going to be issues. And if, um, and, and you'll and you'll know about them. So someone will have a loved one that dies, you know, or um, a, you know, maybe a, an aging parent is suddenly having serious health issues. Or uh, there are ways in which you can minister um, to people in unexpected ways. Um, with, with our, we, we have similar situation um, uh, with some neighbors as, uh, of ours as well, in which there's sort of a barrier and there's a line and they, you know, we, we don't want to cross it. And so we've just, we've looked for ways where uh, we can surprise, um, where they would expect people to sort of back. It's interesting, in a, in a society where people are very superficial, a lot of times the expectation is when someone's going through a difficult time, people back away rather than come forward, right? Because it's, it's superficial, and, and when things are rough, that's below the surface of that line that we sort of have. Um, so my, my recommendation would be to pray for God to help you to be able to see where opportunities for service and ministry may be uh, so that you can lean in. We had a situation with some neighbors, older neighbors of ours, where there was a... Uh, um, we thought everything was fine. Everything on the surface, our kids were playing together, everything, and then suddenly he's gone. He's left. And she's there, and she's got two kids, and she's trying to figure out what, you know, what to do. And at that, for us, at that point, it was like, okay, how can we really, how can we help? How can we help this, this family? You know, and a part of me was mad because he had, had left, and I'm helping his five-year-old learn how to ride a bike when he should be there. You know, I mean, part of, I, I had, I had to work through my, my own just frustration with this is not right, right? But how, how could we, uh, um, uh, really engage with, uh, um, the, with, it, and we, so we wound up, conversations wound up taking a turn after it was very obvious that there was a situation of, of brokenness and we were able to have, uh, um, conversations that led to, and I was able to give resources that were welcomed differently. If I had just sort of, if I had given her the Matt Chandler book or given the family that, but right bef- before we knew there was any issue, it would have been kind of strange. But after there was this brokenness and we had already walked with them through and we had had these opportunities to minister and really care, then it, it's received very differently. So, um, all kinds of people, no matter what they look like on the outside, there are all sorts of things going on. The prayer is, uh, can we get close enough to know where, where, where people are hurting and be able to minister? Not because we have an ulterior motive just of, hey, I just want to share the gospel, because we just want to love our neighbors. And then as we love our neighbors, we also want them to know Jesus. And so that, that it, it, hopefully it comes more naturally than, than trying to penetrate that, that line um, that, that's there. But I feel your pain, <laughs> and a, a couple of other people have mentioned the same struggle. Time for one more question. Looks like it's going to be one of yours. <laughs> well, uh, maybe... Tell us, because you have spelled out um, several more examples, what are some of the other things you touch on in the book if we want to continue the conversation after this morning? Um, so smartphone, um, Hollywood, and entertainment, being able to see through the myths and the different stories that we tell. I mentioned Disney earlier, but there's, there's a whole lot of other things we could talk about there. 
um, the, the purpose of life, how people pursue the purpose of life. Shopping, we didn't talk about this. The hardest chapter for me to write in that book was the one on consumerism. Um, part, it was hard partly because I talk about my sister's house burning down last Thanksgiving um, in there, and that, so there's, there's that element, but also because we just swim in this world of consumerism, and what, how are we going to stand, how, how will we stand out from the world in our shopping habits and the, the way we, our relationship with our stuff? That was the hardest. I had to pray and fast extra to even get through that, that chapter because it's so hard. That one is so hard for us to really get outside of the, the culture enough to be able to see what the longings and lives are. Um, so politics, uh, marriage, and, and talking about marriage, it's not just traditional marriage versus same-sex marriage. It's all sorts of other things about marriage where the church is compromised and we don't, we don't recognize it. Um, uh, sex as well. There's a chapter called Sex Rebels in there. Uh, that's going to be us. We're going to be the rebels from the sexual revolution, so we should get used to that. And then uh, there's a whole chapter in there on ideas of progress and decline. Um, some people think the world is getting inevitably better with a few hiccups here and there, and other people think the world is going down the tubes and getting worse and worse. Christians don't believe either one of those. We shouldn't, anyway. Uh, we sometimes do. We shouldn't. Um, and I'm trying to help, uh, help help us see through those big myths of world getting better, the world getting worse.